This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Kevin K. Kate. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Did you see the memo about this? Yes, yes. Welcome in, everybody, on a Wednesday afternoon. Big thanks to Mike Missinelli for that introduction. A, uh, a special episode, actually, of the podcast. Believe it or not, it's episode number 150. Oh. Always soccer in Philadelphia program. The uh, grunt or the sigh that you heard there in the background is my guest for today's show. Everybody, it's Mike Cervetio from the Philly Soccer Page coming back on. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Kevin? I didn't realize I was here for such an important episode. I feel honored. Yeah, no, listen, I um, I didn't even know it was episode number 150 until I looked at the thing today. Um, you know, the honest truth is that we had, like, I had these, like, ideas, these grand ideas, like, hey, last year was the five-year anniversary, right? Let's do, like, a five-year anniversary show. But then there was, like, COVID and two kids, <laughs> right? So the year before that, I was going to do the other live show. Then there was COVID for that, you know? <laughs> then episode 150, I was like, like I, I remember a month ago, I'm like, oh, okay, this is like coming up. Maybe I should get somebody. I mean, I should go all out with like, a get like five guests on the show or something, but like, you know, a full-time job well, and two kids and, you know. We're, I mean, we're going to be talking about what people are saying is the best union team in history. So that's, that's celebratory enough. Huh? That's your treat, right? That's what you get for episode number 150. You get what, what could be the best union team of all time. But very quickly, I know this is not a visual medium, but uh, I can narrate through it. Mike is... um in a room right now that is absolutely covered in New York Jets gear. Just from what I can see here, I see a Wayne Corbett jersey. Um, I see uh, Jets dra- window dressings. <laughs> what is that, a scoreboard? Was that a seat from like the old like stadium or something that's signed? In- <laughs> absolutely signed by the uh, New York Sack Exchange. <laughs> J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets. This is now Jets podcast. We're going to talk I, I have about been a Packers fan since I was like four years old, much to the disappointment of my father, who remains the, the, the most diehard of the diehard New York Jets fans, which, <laughs> you know, if you, if you know anything about that group, you really got to stick with it. <laughs> well, listen, we're going to talk union, but if we have some time at the end, maybe we'll talk uh, Zach Wilson and we'll talk uh, Robert. Uh, what's his name? Robert Saleh. Maybe we'll get some Jets talk in here on the Holy Soccer and uh, Philadelphia program. But listen, um, I wrote the story yesterday for Crossing Broad. I rarely write anything union anymore for CB, but I was sitting there thinking, like, this is the best team. This is, well, probably so far the best union team I've seen. Jinx, you know, Ezra accused me of jinxing it. Um, but I think this is different. I mean, this team is the real deal. They got 10 points through four games, three straight wins after the season opening draw. They win in Yankee Stadium. They win in very easy fashion in, uh, you know, crap circumstances weather in uh san jose um i don't know you want to go macro or micro first like why don't i just toss it to you for a general uh idea on what you're seeing with this team right now yeah I think, no it's been it's been fun you know i think the the word that you said it, it's looked easy for the most part you know i thought 
out of the four games so far, the, the Minnesota game was perhaps like the, the most disjointed uh, effort, but it's the first game of the season. So it's really hard to put a lot on that, but, you know, going up to Montreal playing on what was essentially concrete um, in a, a difficult place, grabbing a win with 10 men, um, totally owning San Jose, um, and then going to Yankee Stadium, exercising some demons and, and beating New York on their on their own turf. It's it's looked pretty routine so far, which is I think the most exciting part for me. It has looked routine, isn't it? Funny too, because I like nobody rails about Yankee Stadium more than I do. Um, it's like a scheduled tweet. I should just set it up in my drafts that whenever they play at New York to do the. Um, the Yankee stadium is an abomination tweet. I should just have that like automated. Right. But uh, if you think about it, like the way that the union play that size field actually does kind of make sense for them. Now, you know, it didn't make sense for the Harris Madunian team of three years ago. It didn't make sense for the Tranquil Barnetta team of, of five years ago or six years ago, whatever that was, but they're a compact defensive team. They move off a transition and, you know, they like to, to pack it in and make themselves hard to beat. And like, there's not a lot of space to begin with. And you saw how frustrated all those NYC guys were. I think like Danny Higginbottom pointed out on the broadcast that almost like every attacking player that they had was on a yellow card, you know? And like turn into, they get escalated into like a a hold me back fight where we had hands on throats (laughs) and fake headbutts being thrown out, you know? Yeah, no, I I agree. And I was actually, I was a little surprised that, uh, Philly didn't bring in some of the the kids later in the game too, because I thought that that situation also fit that the the younger group who was just like so technical um, that you know they, they they could have brought in the fresh legs. But yeah, I agree. Like the the uh, the field does suit them a little bit in that in that scenario. And you know, I, I was I was disappointed that Carranza got the early yellow card because I would have loved to have seen him later in the game fishing around up top and and yeah. creating the high pressure still because I I think he's he's been really good at it. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I thought that the, the union looked good on that field. And I think, you know, having the best, one of the best center back pairings in the league too, against a, a team on such a compact field does nothing but help your cause there. You know, I living up here in North Jersey right now, I had to watch the NYC broadcast of that game. Yeah. And that was the NYC broadcast the whole time was just raving about Glesnes and Glesnes Elliott combination and how they're basically yeah. impenetrable. Yeah, and they were. Yeah. No, I mean, they are, man. It's hard to like, I don't, you know, it's funny because I do the post game show with the gambler and like, sometimes I'm sitting there thinking before we do the call, like, what am I going to say? Because I don't know how many more times I can say that they're just like a pain in the ass to play against. Like Glessness is good. Wagner is good. Elliot is good. Like they just strangle you. They don't give you anything. So you kind of talk about it like in the opposite way, you know, what does that look like? from a numbers and schematic kind of standpoint, I don't do a lot of data because I don't, I don't think soccer is really like a, I don't know we talked about, we talked to Jim or Jim and I talked about this just a little bit last time. They have stuff that they look at specifically, but there's like a fine line where you get over where you're just like making shit up and like, you're, you're just picking whatever number you want to like support whatever opinion you have. You know what I mean? This is like a, people do this in basketball all the time where it's like, well, this guy in this lineup is better than this guy in this lineup or whatever, but you can focus on just a couple things here. Like they have the most PPG through four games, which is a small sample size, 2.5. Their first place in the East. There's only two other teams that have 10 points, but the union are, are dead last in MLS in possession. Like thir- it's thirty six point three percent. That is like nothing. 
So I think, Mike, what we can do, and we already kind of do this, but we can firmly like now officially say that possession is a shit statistic and doesn't mean anything without any kind of application to to how you use it or what you want to do with it. Are you even trying to have the ball, you know? Like the union to me have kind of redefined this for anybody who who may have still thought that possession meant something. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's it's a little bit misleading after the four games that we've seen too because, you know, they're down a man for about a half an hour in Montreal. So Montreal's going to get on the ball. True. They they the game against San Jose, they could have played that for 180 minutes and San Jose was never going to score. So I, I, I felt like the, the union were happy to have them knock around between their back three or five or four, however it was during the game. Yeah. And then New York City, you're up 2-0 after the first half, and you could tell that that New York City team was tired. They had CONCACAF Champions League. They had a ton of travel. Um, and, you know, they, they ran out most of their first team. By the second half of that game, again, the union, I felt like, knew that it felt like New York was not going to score in that game. You know, I, I know they created a, a handful of opportunities in the second half, but I think those are the games you're willing to concede possession, get your guys behind the ball, stay compact. You, you know that the, the center backs are going to keep things organized. You know you have one of the best goalies in the, the game. And you look, most of these teams haven't created great scoring chances. Andre Blake, you know, I think had a couple of really nice saves against Montreal, not really tested against San Jose at all. Um, and then not really tested all that much by New York. Um, so you know, I, th- I think you'll probably see that the union move back towards the medium of uh, possession stats as the season goes on. But over the first four games, yeah, I don't, I don't think it means a damn thing. San Jose wanted absolutely nothing to do with that game. Um, they looked like they're sitting here thinking, why did we have to fly across the country to play in these conditions? Matias Almeida had on more layers, I think, than I've <laughs> ever had on in my entire life. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and the goals were so simple, too. Sergio Santos just turning a guy and beating him to the end line and cutting the ball back for Corey Burke for a tap. And the second one was a, was a excuse me, a comical handball for, a, for yeah. a penalty. Like, I I wasn't doing the um, post-game show that night because I'm only doing every other now, and I was only half paying attention to that San Jose game. But I felt like you, where I was like, These guys, this game is in the bag. Like, these guys are not going to score. Isn't it crazy to think of that? We're watching a union game where you feel so comfortable about like how they are defensively that like you feel like you can check out for 10 minutes at a time. Well, especially like San Jose in the game before the union had come back from two goals down in stoppage time to grab a draw against Columbus with 10 men. And it's like, okay, you think, oh, this is a team that can can battle back, is a team that can score late goals. But again, watching that Union team, like San Jose was never going to score in that game. Like like you said, I think the conditions played some part in that. And it was, it was an absolutely miserable night. I, I Kudos to every Union fan that showed up for that because that's that's hardcore. I don't know. Yeah. I have to make a um, I have to make a confession at this point. I've stopped gambling for a little bit just because I lost way too much money on Serie A. And when I say way too much money, I mean like eighty dollars or something. But uh, that's a lot for me. But uh also it begs the question, why do I continue to gamble on a league that has is like known for match fixing and bullshit? You know, so I put myself in like a freeze. I put myself in like a DraftKings freeze. But if I hadn't put myself in a freeze, I would have emptied the bank account for in, on the union for that San Jose game because you can just te- you can just like tell you know I mean you can tell when they're on and when they're just not going to give anything up and I kind of felt the same way about the the New York game too. I think the crazy thing about the New York game is that they've had this happen to them twice now this year in four games where remember the Montreal game 
they give up the second goal because I, I think it was Mihailovic or somebody just dribbled through like four people to score, but it got whistled back because of the foul, right? And yeah. in the New York game, you know, they have the Jack Elliott red card that's rescinded only because of the handball. You know, so you take the handball out of the equation and you go back and look at that on VAR, you're probably going to have the same result anyway. So they got lucky with two situations there where a foul and a handball could have totally swung like the results of those games for sure. You know, so I think like the marginal, I think we talked last year about the union getting lucky and finding like these breaks and spots that they just were not, seemed like they never got a break from like 2014 to like 20, 2019, you know? So not only are they finding those, they're finding those with more frequency, but you know, those were, those were major factors in those games. And like those little marginal, like turning points seem to be going in their favor. Um, I have a list that I wrote real quick. I did like a top 10, but I just put it like right within the story that I did yesterday. I just did it off the top of my head. This is, this is what the union have right now, Mike. They have nasty ball winners and hardworking midfielders. They have a top three MLS goalkeeper. They have two of the best center backs in the league. They have a guy in Daniel Gajdog who's who's figured it out. He's scoring goals. He's got three goals. Uh, they have a team captain in Alejandro Bedoya who looks five years younger. They have a more diverse crop of forwards, and they're doing it without Orr so far, Mikel Orr. So they have multiple promising youth players in the pipeline and on the bench. They have a right fullback who just stole the starting job from an AFCON quality player. They have an experienced and confident coach who knows exactly what he's doing, uh, and they have the best player personnel executive in Philadelphia. Do you dispute anything of that? I dispute none of that at all. Uh, you know, I was I read your piece yesterday, and I was like, "This is exciting!" <laughs> like, it's crazy. It's, it's not just me, like like saying shit because I'm a union guy and I want to get it out on Crossing Broad because it's like, hey, like like my sport, push my sport. Like I like I mean it. I'm not like making this shit up. Like they like somebody asked a question when, when I asked for questions, say and said, "Does this roster have any holes? When any weaknesses? Like I couldn't think of any. Can you? No." I, I mean, and like you said, we, we haven't even seen a lot of Mikel Orr yet, uh, which I'm super excited for. Um, you know, I think you have a really diverse group of strikers for the first time, I think, that I can remember having this many strikers that you'd be okay running out. Like, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people put Corey Burke in the, the bottom of the, the striker pool at this point, and the guy's got two goals in four two games. Goals so far, I know. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Um, I think, like, when... Uh... Let me touch on the Bedoya and Gosh Dog thing first, because I, I wanted to go over the New York goals, but I actually have something longer that I wrote out after this, like all the goals that they've scored this year. So I'll just wrap that into that. But Bedoya, I don't know if you had this observation, but last year it seemed like he was he was doing all the right things and he would get into his positions or whatever, or he and he'd be like like one half step behind, or he'd get to like the the end line and he'd like square across back or something and it would get blocked or some guy would get a foot it seemed like like everything was like like right there for him then that last step he was either late or somebody caught up to him it looked like his legs weren't totally there um to me that's where the difference is it looks like he's just like that final like last bit of energy is in his legs or like he's like making that final pass or he's just weighting things differently like I, it's nothing really like profound as of an observation but that's that's what i'm seeing no, I, I agree. And you just, I think about the, the goal against New York, especially um, it, it comes to him pretty quickly. And it's just the coolness with what that had happened of like, it rolls across, you know, you think a guy might take a swipe at it. You think he might lean back and, and knock it over the bar, but no, just rolls it into the far corner. One nil. Yeah. 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 Um, um, but you know, I, I, I think <laughs> I, 
I don't want to speculate on past personal relationships, but like, you know, Jamiro was a different element in the union midfield. And I, I, I think that, you know, Gazdog presents a bit of a different element, you know, going at the top of the diamond than, than Montero did, where I think that Bedoya can settle in and, and feel like he knows where Gazdog's going to be all of the time, where Jamiro yeah. bounced around a little bit, um, you know, and, and, and did play multiple positions. But, you know, I, I think that there, there's maybe a level of comfort there for, for Bedoya now. And and who knows what else it is, you know, maybe it's, you know, he, he got a little bit more fitness over, over the offseason or that he's doing something to, to roll it back. But I do agree that he, he does look a lot more comfortable this year so far. Gosh, dog to me looks like more of a uh, like a space recognizer as a number 10 than than Jamiro did. You know, I think Jamiro wanted to come back and get on the get on the ball and do that you know, right footed rollback and kind of like carry the ball whereas gosh dog i think does more without it you know you see yeah. these back these back posts kind of like he knows where the space is going to be and he say hey there's there's nobody here let me like make this run let me get to the back post let me put myself in a good scoring position you know he's scored two from like inside the box already i i can't like i think all three of them are from inside the box oh it's a penalty one was a penalty, penalty. Right? yeah so but i can't i don't remember jamiro scoring a lot of like follow follow up the play with like a like a late run and just kind of tap it in, right? Like I don't, I don't think he scored a bunch of like like much like that during his time playing as a ten. No, I, and he was you know he was a lot more prone to be on the box on the ball a little bit outside of the box. You know, you yeah. saw him shoot from twenty yards a, a lot more frequently than you've ever seen Goshdog do it. Um, you know, for better or worse, for Jamiro's sake, a couple of yeah. bangers in there, but a lot, yeah. lot more probably into Rosette. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I think he works well with the, the forward duo in that in that way too. Is that you know you have guys, particularly when you have Santos playing, who who runs around a lot, does create a lot of space by making a lot of runs. He gets in behind, but also will check in and will move out wide. Um, you know, and then you think about the goal that that Gazdag scored in, in Montreal, where you know they, they play over the top into uh, Carranza, and then yeah. Gazdag is the guy you know basically making the center forwards run at the, the near post. So you know, I think he, it is a, diff- a bit of a different element at the top of the diamond. Yeah, he understands like that. He has two guys in front of him who are high high work rate kind of guys. You know, he doesn't have to be on the Gazdag doesn't have to touch the ball a lot. He just has to kind of understand like, hey. This guy's moving this center back. This space is over here. Hey, look where the back post is. Hey, we're moving these guys, this clump of guys sideways off a throw in. Like nobody's paying attention to me on the other side. Like he just kind of like has an understanding of where to be, you know, which is like, it's funny because people say, people said stuff about like Jack McInerney, like going back a ways now where it's like, well, if you poach a bunch of goals, it's like easy. Like, cause you're standing there on the doorstep or whatever, but that, but knowing where to, to be is a, a skill in and of itself, you know? So if gosh, dog scores three penalties this year and seven tap-ins or like late run, whatever, it's like, I'm not going to begrudge him for that because the union are a direct team. And, and so space recognition is as, as high of a level of a skill as anything. It's just, we can't put a number on it, a number on it, you know? What I'm going to be really curious about with, with Gosh Dog, and I think we'll probably get a chance to see it um, in the, in, with the next Union game when Charlotte comes to town, is what's going to happen when teams bunker and they force him to play as a 10 and they mm-hmm. force him to get on the ball and uh, you know be kind of a, a fulcrum at, at the top of the diamond. I think he can do it. Um, 
but we haven't seen we haven't seen it at all this year. You know, we we already talked about the possession stats, but I, I do think that you are going to see teams, particularly when they come down to Chester, play behind the ball a little bit, knowing how the Union want to play at this point. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, I think the book has been out for three years now about basically how the Union want to play it. You know, changes a little bit game to game and season to season, but. You know, I, th- I think there are going to be teams that do want to play behind the ball and 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 are going to force the union to to get into the sixty percent, seventy percent possession stats and see if they can break them down. It's just funny to it's funny to think about because like I, if I were if I were game planning against the union, I would I would do exactly that. I would sit mm-hmm. like I would pull a Costa Rica. I wouldn't even do two lines of four. I would put five dudes and four dudes behind the ball. Let one guy run around up top, and I would just keep kicking the ball to the union and say, "Okay, you break us down." We're going to counter off of it because they haven't. That's the one thing they haven't shown. It's not. It's not that they can't do it. We just don't know if they can or if they can't. No team has has forced them to try to do that before. That actually segues perfectly into what I want to do next because we talked about their possession number being the lowest in the league, thirty six percent. So how are they scoring their goals? They've only scored. Well, let me just go through the list here, and then we can just categorize it here, right? So, um, the first goal they scored in Minnesota was a recycled set piece. Corner kick comes back out. They put it back in, right? The first goal against Montreal was an effort goal. Remember, the ball's just pinging around in there. Yeah. A bunch of bullshit, and then Bedoya gets on and scores, right? The third goal, probably – third goal is probably their best goal that they scored this year was the one that you were talking about where Carranza off the chest, squares it back for Dog on a late run for the tap-in. That was the second one at Montreal. They scored the first San Jose goal off a counter-press where Leon Flock just got in front of the ball. Sergio Santos turned the corner, squared it for Corey Burke for a tap-in. They had the penalty against San Jose. And then in New York, they scored off a set piece. And then they scored off the Vahariel overlapping run, which actually started on a throw-in, right? So I, I kind of – I went on Twitter. I'm like, I'm going to count that as a dead ball goal. And, like, they brought in the throw-in coach from Liverpool, like, over the summer. It's no coincidence that, like, they're identifying, like, what to do with this. But if you look back at that, it's one – there's a recycled set piece – there's a regular set piece. There's uh, the, the throw-in one that I'll count for sure. They had the effort goal in Montreal. They, and, I mean, so they really only had one. The, the goal that they scored against Montreal where Carranza played gosh dog, that's really like the only breakdown another team from the run of play with, with possession kind of goal that they've scored this year. Is that crazy? They scored seven goals and only one of them has been that way. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, like, and the set pieces are the other, other side of that too, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I'm surprised that, that they've been able to cash in so well because it, it, I, I was worried a little bit with Jamiro leaving who was taking all the set pieces, but Kai has been He's fine. Really good. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the sole set piece taker. But yeah, you know, I think going back to the San Jose game too, you know, they probably Sergio Santos missed a hat trick of chances by itself. Where I think if, if he had scored on any one of those, you'd be talking about those as as the the plays that they're they are able to to break through. Like, you know, I think their their XG in that game was like three or four or something <laughs> crazy. Like they, they had so many chances to 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 put that game well out of reach by the 65th minute. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And, and, there, and there's, you know, I don't think that they had to do it against New York and they were happy to sit deep, but, but you know, they've shown that they will create chances from, from open play and they will turn teams over. Um, you can. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. There is only the one goal to show. There for is it, only you know? the one, which is crazy. And so much too is off of them drawing fouls too. 
you know, the one set piece, they have a bunch of corners, their top half of the league and like corner kicks and fouls drawn and, um, you know, those kinds of important stats too. And when you're pressing teams and pressure them, like that San Jose penalty was bullshit, but like, it's because you're pushing them into their box. Like you're, you're putting them in, in compromising positions that they don't want to be in, you know? So you increase your likelihood of, of mistakes like that happening for sure. You know, uh, when yeah. you play the game in the other half of the field in the opponent's half of the field, there's there, the onus is on them to, clean up the mistakes and not commit errors because the it's harder to commit error. You punish for errors that are closer to your goal, obviously, you know, um, that's why passing statistics are bullshit too, because I think somebody asked about this in the questions because it's like, you know, you would see these stats like Brian Carroll completed 97% of his passes to, well, no shit. Cause he doesn't pass the ball forward. Four yards backwards. Passes the ball <laughs> backwards or sideways. So that goes hand in hand with possession, but, um, okay. A couple, couple little notes from the, um, New York game. Uh, Sergio Santos got uh, Castellanos by the throat during the scrum. Uh, I think there was a fake headbutt that may have made contact in there. I mean, what did you make? What did you make of all that? I thought it was dumb, but they'll probably do like hands to the face suspensions, right? Or disciplinary. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, two yellow cards came out of that. I think in the end, I think Kai and Castellanos both got yellow cards after the melee. And, I, and I, when I, I did the match report for Philly soccer pitch, and they were listed as like other on the on the MLS. <laughs> It's like in the NBA, they always just give they give you the double text and like, let's move on with our life, you know? Yeah. Even if the one uh, guy didn't like do anything at all, like it's like double text, move on to the next thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's the normal crap that happens in a game. Like you, you've probably been in a million Casa games that have had a melee like that. <laughs> uh, I know I have. Yeah. yeah. We've had it in, in pickup soccer, you know, Castellanos is a guy that brings that out in a game too. Like, you know, if, if he's playing in a game, he's, he's, you know, one of the ultimate shithousers in the league. And that starts with him like just trying to tap the ball out of Andre's hands. Do you, um, do you have any reaction to Gosh dog telling Castellanos to shut the fuck up? Well, amen. Right. <laughs> don't, don't we all wish we could say it to him? He's ex- I, I, I tweeted it during the game. I was like, he's, he's such a massive prick sometimes. Like you, you can't question how good the guy is as a goal scorer, like golden yeah. boot winner last year. And like, who's his talent half of the time, but the other half of the time he's rolling around on the deck, asking for the referee for yellow cards, doing stupid shit off the ball, you know, taking a dive. So it's like, you know, yeah, I love Daniel Gosdog telling him to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Amen, Daniel Gosdog. Amen, brother. I actually <laughs> have a, um, I actually have like a, a real take about that, and I thought it was good to see just from the standpoint of, okay, so we know who Gosdog is now. Like he's got some dog in him, you know. He's got some of that like like edge because I, I don't think we really knew who he was. He was yeah. very very even keeled last year. He wasn't showing any kind of like true excitement, but he wasn't like didn't have bad body language either, you know? So it's nice to know that he, it looks like he's built in the same mold as like, uh, well, I won't say he's like Wagner or, or Santos or Jose Martinez, who are like, all three of them are like hotheads who are ready to fight anybody at any time, which is great because you want people, <laughs> you want people I to go in and defend those guys are on his team though. Like he, yeah. he doesn't have to be that guy, but it, I, right. I agree though. It is, it is nice to see that element in his game where he's going to be like, all right, enough of this shit. I'm he's a dog. Grab a guy he's a dog. Like he, ha- he has it in him, right? You, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to see it, but you have to, but it's nice to know that it's there. And, you know, I made Agreed. the comparison on the gambler the other day where it's like, you know, every hockey game you watch, it's like, there's a puck that comes in and Carter Hart saves it. And like, 
Alex Ovechkin comes within like three centimeters of heart and three people got to go over and like shove him with their stick or whatever. It's so stupid. You know, it's like the thing you have to do in <laughs> hockey. Right. And yeah. like you, like you said, like the Casa thing, I don't know how many millions of times, like the goalkeeper has the ball, the offensive guy thinks the whistle's going for him. So he tries to take it out of his hands. The goalkeeper keeps, he's like, no, it's my ball or whatever. 99.9% of the times those end with like the ref just kind of walking over there and eventually somebody just gives up the ball, you know, it was actually Kai. It was actually Kai who came in and pushed Castellanos, which yeah. like elevated the thing to the next level. And it's like, it's nice that like, so here's the thing, Mike, it's like, you're, you're trying to like, and I'm not, I'm not like explaining this to you. You know what I'm talking about, but it's like the difference is wanting to protect one of your guys versus like, mm-hmm. t- like putting yourself in a position to take like stupid yellow cards, you know? Whereas like you see, you see that like, glassness has to put like, like Sergio in like a bear hug and like put like literally like lift him up off the ground like move him out of the way because he's like dude i, I know you want to defend your teammate but don't do some dumb shit here because you, you're looking at yellow card accumulation right yeah and, and and that's the frustrating thing is too like you know and i think you know that's the frustrating thing with santos overall too right like that he, he always has that kind of like boneheaded move in a game where you're like why did you say that to the referee yeah why, yeah. why did you grab that guy by the shirt there why did you have to grab him by the neck? Like, go in there, yell at him, say whatever you need to say, South American, South American, and there, and, you know, and whatever. And then it's over, you know? Yeah. yeah. You, you don't have to take it to that, that that next level sometimes. And, like, you know, I, I don't think that the referee saw what Santos did in real time. He probably would have gotten the yellow card for it. Um, and it sucks that you're, we're talking about them probably revisiting that and maybe yeah. some kind of suspension or, or discipline coming from it. Because it's just, that's unnecessary. Get it all on with the shoving, and then you know, don't do anything stupid that they have to review later. Betting tip: If you use a book that offers like cards, um, odds for cards, look, every single uni game, look at a Jose Martinez yellow card and see what the value is. And it's probably worth betting. Uh, <laughs> so I don't, yeah. I, I don't think DraftKings bets card. I don't remember betting cards, but I think Fanduel might and like uh, Unibet might. Um, let's rip through some questions here. Um, I think we covered most of this in the discussion, but uh, Mike says, is there a weak spot on the roster? We said, no, we've went over that one. Um, oh, Brian Hickey with some bullshit here. How awesome is it that my kid is going to play seven versus seven on the field with his pre-pandemic teammates at halftime on 423? Hey, listen, awesome. if they're opening stuff back, I'm just glad they're opening stuff back up at all. You know, I would like to maybe in June do another live show. Um, maybe at the brewery or something. So like, you know, just let me survive April and May and then we'll uh, figure that out. Uh, Matt asked about the low possession numbers, which we went over to, but he also asked, and we didn't really talk about this last time. Um, favorite El Senio moment. I mean, the El Senio game against Red Bulls, like it's, it's, gotta be it's hard to game. argue that. Like yeah. I remember being in the box for that game and like the whole, you know, there was such a shift in that game when he came on of like, holy shit, this is all really happening and we're watching it. This yeah. is amazing. Like, yeah. I, it's one of the best individual performances in the history of whatever we want to call that stadium, Subaru Park now. But, you know, I, I don't recall another individual performance like that. So I, I'm voting for that one. Here's, here's, a, here's a take. Well, it's not really a take, but um, more of a clarification here. I, I mentioned on uh, Twitter that I thought El Senio was by far Ernie Stewart's best signing. And somebody mentioned, hey, well, didn't Bedoya come in in 2016 too? Yes, but my understanding, I think, was that they had targeted Bedoya the year before, before Ernie got there. So it was more like a, 
hey, you know, like everybody was consensus, like Ollie, you know, it wasn't like Ernie's going to go out and get him, but Ernie knew uh, Ilsino's agent, who is this Kia Jurabchian, Jurabchian, I don't know, like the Armenian. I have a lot of thoughts about that guy if you ever want to get into them. Yeah, (laughs) I don't really, and admittedly, like, I don't know, like, much about all that. I remember his name coming up frequently for some shit, but, like, Ernie knew that guy. Uh, which was the connection there, you know, like the Jim and Chris and whatever comp like trio combo, whoever else was involved like that. They didn't have a pathway to that. So, so you could very easily make the case of Ilsenio quite easily. It was Ernie's best signing. Um, um, <clears throat> Matt wants to know, how would you manage Bedoya? Um, they just keep his legs fresh and like manage him to the playoffs. You know, I th- this this has come up, I think, the last two seasons, and lots of people have had questions about this, and I know it comes up on Philly Soccer page a lot. Um, you know, he's getting older. It is going to be harder to go 90 minutes, you know, particularly in, in weeks where they have multiple games, um, particularly the three-week game, three game weeks. Um, you have guys off the bench that I think can spell him, but, you know, overall, I, I haven't been worried about it in the first four games because he's looked relatively comfortable. I mean, he looks fine to me. I just did some quick math here. There's still 34 games, right? Yes. Or is it 30 something? Anyway, so let's just do rough, rough math here. You play 90 minutes for 30 in a 34 game season. You play 3,060 minutes. If you subbed Ollie off every single game in like the 70th minute, and you did like 70 times 34, that's 2,380 minutes. Like you can almost cut like. 600 minutes more than 600 minutes out of his um you know season total if you just sub him every game right who's 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 the right midfielder you bring in for him now is it i mean i don't know man because it's weird because mcglynn is a lefty flock is a lefty sullivan's not not really a not really an eight, but he's not re- really a 10 either. He's one of those Fontana tweener kind of dudes. You know, you want him yeah. closer. You want him closer to goal. I'd say, I'd, I'd say Sullivan's more like a, like a, like a 10, nine hybrid. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's a perfect is, false nine. Yeah. Is Bueno like a dude who plays over there? I don't know what he is. You know, it's a good yeah, question, I'm, man. Cause I don't know. I don't, yeah. Like who is on the depth chart behind him over there? But, well, I think that's been my biggest question when people have said that it's, it's, you know, time to spell him a little bit is that I don't think that you have a like for like replacement over there. You know, I, I think, you know, against uh, Montreal, you brought in Baizo and played him in right midfield and it didn't go that well. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you would think that Mbizo could be a good defensive uh, sub in the midfield if, if it came to that, but uh, not been proven quite yet, but yeah, I don't think that there is a a, a like for like for Bedoya, which is why Jim likes to leave him out there so much. Um, and then and Jim knows that Bedoya is going to berate him if he takes him off. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just uh, working double time here, um, breaking radio news at the same time. Um, the the uh, the other topic that people were asking about, there was actually a couple questions about this. Was the um, the Mbizo Harriel debate. And like, I think we can just approach it generically, but I, I don't, I think the one question that somebody asked was like, who at is Mbizo's best as good as Harriel's best. Or like, if they're both like, say they're both at their pinnacle, if they're performing at their apex, right. Whose apex is better than the others. I don't like, I don't see anything from, from Harriel right. Or how do, how do I phrase this? 
in, in the limited sample size I have of Harry all right now, I don't see anything that he's doing where I'm sitting there saying like, well, Mbizo can, can do that or do that much better. Or I need to see Mbizo. Like I'm not, I'm not watching Harry at all thinking like I need Bizo to fill this role, you know? No, no, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I think the sample size is still pretty, pretty small for, for Harry. But like, you know, even if you go back to the, the Eastern conference championship last year, he plays out of position at left back. Yeah. I thought he played out of his mind. I thought he was, you know, I, I thought he was w- one of the best players in the field that day. Um, and then, you know, it's unfortunate that Mbizo ends up being the, the guy that gets beat for the goal that day too. And then, you know, I think yeah. you go back to the Minnesota game and it's Mbizo that gets beat for the goal in that, in that game. And I, I, so I think, you know, Harriel gets his chance and no, there is nothing that I've seen from Harriel that makes me worried so far. You know, I yeah, think, yeah, I don't, I think I don't, he is a twenty-year-old right back. Is there going to be a mistake this year? Yeah, yeah. there's going to be a mistake this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the thing with him, if anything, I saw like not necessarily this year, but last year, sometimes where he looked overzealous or like you know try to like yeah, some calls went against him and he got like a little frustrated, like maybe try to settle yeah. in a little bit. But but Olivier is such a like relaxed and smooth player that by comparison, anybody you put in there is going to look more. Um, I don't know what the word, not flamboyant, but more frenetic. I guess frenetic might be a good word. You know, like that's a good word for Sergio too. That San Jose game, every time I looked up at the screen, he was either laying on the ground or jumping in the air or sprinting forward. Yeah. I mean, you want activity out of your guys, but still it was like, you know, there's always something going on. Right. My Boyertown coach used to say that to me all the time. He always used to say, Kevin, stay on your feet. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, like you have me playing like defensive mid. What do you want me to do? You want me to tackle these guys or not? So <laughs> maybe we'll get uh, Coach Did Young on the show one of these days to to litigate, relitigate that. <laughs> I think we would all love to hear you talk to your old high school coach. I was a late bloomer. You know, all I could do back then was tackle and win the ball. I couldn't hit a forward pass to save my life, but uh, you know. Another story for another time. Uh, another story for another time too is the red card that I got in Costa League. So I'll have to tell that one one time too. But, um, was that, was I playing that, at that game? I, I can't remember it. I, you weren't playing that. I got a three game suspension. The other guy got four games because he started oh, yeah. it. Um, well, I'll tell it right now. What the hell? Um, it was a. It was at uh, YSC. It was like ten years ago, probably like twenty twelve or whatever. And uh, going up in the for a 50-50 ball in the air with some guy. I knew this guy. Like, we played against each other a, a bunch. I think he was playing for Cracovia. We played Cracovia like 100 times or whatever. Um, and uh, we both went up. And we both kind of got tangled up and came down to the ground. As he went, came down, he got me with an elbow. And, like, I know this dude threw this thing intentionally. So we were, like, I rolled him over and got on top of him, like, MMA, like, full mount and, like, <laughs> didn't i didn't like hit him i didn't like elbow him but i kind of pushed my like forearm into his face like kind of just like pushed him in the face like into the turf and then like it just turned into like a big like scrap i felt like an asshole afterwards because i looked on the sidelines and there was a bunch of little kids like gathering for their game <laughs> after <laughs> after us and i'm sitting here th- i'm like driving home i'm like what am i doing i'm like 27 years old and like fighting dudes at um you know saturday you know pub league or whatever but uh you know, the other, like I said, he started it, man. He he threw the first elbow, so he got four games. And I got three games. I appealed. I actually appealed, and the Casa board turned me down. So, <laughs> having been on the Casa board a million years ago, like that was always the stuff that I always dreaded hearing about because it's like <laughs> you're 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 basically a, a volunteer for an organization that is thousands of people, you know 
And yeah. you're hearing about a story from probably the referee from the captains of the other team and having to make a determination of how long someone's supposed to be suspended. Yeah. <laughs> if the referee told me it was supposed to be three games, I often agreed with the referee because he was there. <laughs> it's funny too, man. Cause you know, I got in a lot of stuff like that. I see this all the time when I was, because I refed in Casa for a little bit too. And it was like, you know, some people would come over and be like, yo, that's like dirty. Or like, I, you know, I'd take like a tactical, like yellow, like, um, foul or something like that i could just grab a guy's shirt if he was free or whatever and try to hold him back or whatever yo what is this like dirty shit you're doing i'm like man it's just a tactical foul. like it's just a tactical foul i'm not you know if i came in like hard on a challenge or whatever i'm like they'd be like yeah why are you like going in dirty i'm like it's not it's not dirty like not everything that's hard is dirty like you can go you can go up for a bar you can like look i mean like a lot of those dudes at the in the top division of casa are like former like college players we have some there's like some ex-pros in the league you know so it's not like a just a fucking kick around in the park. It's like dudes who want to play, like dudes who were competitors when they were younger, they still want to play at the highest level they're capable of while they have two kids and a wife and a real job, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're going to get stuff like that. It doesn't mean it's malicious. Like we don't run into those guys at the bar after the game anyway. Yeah. We'll probably be drinking beers with them at like a Casa function anyway. So it wasn't probably, you know, it wasn't yeah. anything more complicated than that, you know? Oh man, I'm just playing it out leak. <laughs> um, last one. This was actually emailed to me, so I wanted to make sure I got it. Um, this is from Ryan. He actually sent it like two weeks ago, but I forgot to do it the last time, and we can end on this. Um, he says the union used to be able to really shake up a game when they brought in El Senio and they go four, two, three, one, let him carve up a bunch of tired uh, defenders. It seems like they don't have a tactical shift like that anymore. Um, but what about taking advantage of their youth and their energy instead? You bring in Paxton, Jack, Quinn all at the same time. Um, and then you have Paxton out there doing irons and things. Jack's hitting passes all over the field. Um, Quinn Sullivan um, running, running at them. And then he says a little bit more about, um, oh, he says, most importantly, they can all come on together at the 60th minute and we'll call them the Lil, the Lil Senos. <laughs> um, this is interesting, though, because we actually have talked about this a bunch of the podcast, right? Because they don't really have a tactical shift now. They did Christmas tree last year, but it wasn't like a change of pace. They just kind of had to because of the situation, yeah. right? So if they don't have a tactical shift, what do you think about throwing three homegrowns on at the same time? I'm totally fine with it. I think, uh, you know, I, I think it does does bring a, another element. I think that they're all super fit. Um, you know, I think that the the Aronson blood has running in it. Um, so I think, you know, I, I've actually been a little bit disappointed that we haven't seen a little bit more of, of those guys this year. You know, I think. Yeah, they really haven't, right? They haven't played a lot of minutes. Yeah. It's just because the union are playing well. Well, they had the one red card game to your right. So it wasn't like the, the subs were like and Bizo and, you know, whatever. They weren't going to throw like a bunch of young attacking dudes on. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I'm curious to see like when we get to a game when Philly is down two one in the 75th minute or the 70th minute, like what, what are the subs then? Cause may, I think maybe it is that, that trio of guys that can come on and, and, and give you a whole different feel. Cause I, I do think they're all athletic. I think that they could can play a little bit interchangeably. Um, you know, the, the, I don't think that anybody ever is going to have the, the, the skill set and one man like change that El Sino brought to the team. But I, I think, that that little youth shift change yeah for sure it can, it can make a huge yeah. huge change in a game yeah well listen man no complaints first place for the union 10 points uh 150 episodes of the podcast who knew we would make it this long i didn't you know i was like congrats that's awesome that's all i mean pe- people don't know how much work this is on the, the back end and organizing it and, and you guys you well, make- 
but you do because you and Greg did like a couple hundred episodes of, of KYW Philly soccer show, you know? Yeah. I, I won't take any credit for that because Greg is the man with all the equipment. I, I had to do a show up and that's true. We're all running our, we're all running our own like little home setups here with zoom. And Greg just had the KYW facilities to use. And we just went to a professional recording booth. I see Keegan Rosenberry walking up the hallway and it's like, all right, here you go. Just talking this microphone, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah now listen i appreciate everybody listening for as long as they have and uh i think the reason we got here is because the union got good you know so uh it's m- much better to talk about a winning team and this uh is, this is so much more fun than the listenership that we used to have in the press yeah. box years <laughs> yeah. ago <laughs> yeah listenership reflects that for sure so uh mike thanks man i appreciate it as always and um where can people find your stuff psp and what's your um what's your uh twitter handle again I am at Mike Servideo on Twitter. Um, and yeah, find all my stuff on Philly soccer page, match reports, player ratings, and, and the ilk. Ilk, PSP, longtime friends of the program. Uh, your Philadelphia Union first place to get a break, and then they get Charlotte. So let's keep it rolling. Yeah. Let's get some uh, USA wins in there too, huh? Oh, God. We'll talk about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll just end it on this. Everybody needs to fucking calm down. They're going to the World Cup. I, like, people got to stop. Like, like Team USA. The, the general Twitter. thought that every USA international team fan needs to hear it. Calm the fuck down. USMNT Twitter is like the worst Twitter of all time. And like, it, yeah, it is. That's saying a lot because there's a lot of worst Twitters <laughs> of, of all time. So when they qualify, we'll talk about that. And then I'll come back and say, Everybody needed to relax. They were going. I'll pull up some tweets from a couple months ago and say, I told you so. We'll do that whole routine. All right. Sounds good to me.